On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about Eddie Van Halen, a legend, an innovator, a guy who was as much a part of the music scene in the 80s, 90s, and from before then and after then, passed away on Tuesday. Uh, we'll talk about his impact and what he meant to music and why he was unique. We'll do that. Also going to chat about wine. Why will we talk about wine? Because it's wine. Why would we not talk about wine? What is going on in the wine world these days when COVID is keeping everything seemingly shut down? Maybe grab a glass and join us. Will you? Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Eddie Van Halen died today. Uh, had throat cancer for a number of years and seemed to be getting treatment and maybe in remission. And then all of a sudden it came back and we hear that things went downhill very quickly in the past couple days. And as I say, passed away this afternoon and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people commenting online and everywhere else. Um, one of the, for me, for people of my vintage, one of the, the guys who created the musical background of my youth, of my teenage years. Jump, Hot for Teacher, Panama, Run with the Devil, that song you just heard. A bunch of other massive, massive hits in the 80s. Van Halen was as big as anybody in the 80s. And you couldn't grow up in the 80s and not be familiar with Van Halen, at least affected by Van Halen's music because you heard it all the time. I mean, radio then, you could not turn on the radio and listen for an hour or two and not hear a Van Halen song almost throughout the entire 80s. And the other thing was, the other reason so many people are commenting today is because Eddie Van Halen is also seen as one of the great innovators in guitar and music. Why? Well, let me bring in Eric Alper, who's a music commentator. Uh, he is also a shameless idealist. I always love introducing him as that, but uh, we'll go with the music commentator mostly today. Eric, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Having me, and I, I second all of your thoughts. You know, you and I are probably around the same age. And I think for anybody that grew up in the 70s and 80s and 90s, um, just an astounding band. I mean, not only was Eddie Van Halen one of the most technically abled guitarists in music history, but the fact that they could write a three and a half minute song that we're still listening to today is, is pretty astounding. With three different lead singers. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, you that know, all that all worked, all, that all succeeded. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's not too many bands. Look, look, I mean, let's even go back by selling 10 to 15 million albums between 1979 and 82. If they quit after that, we would still be talking about Eddie Van Halen. Then they released 1984, the album, and that brought them into the stratosphere where I mean, forget about the radio, every third song, you know, with the Van Halen song, every second video on Much Music was either Jump or Panama or Hot for Teacher or Dreams or Why Can't This Be Love or Little Guitars or Dancing in the Streets. It was astounding at how much fun they were and how entertaining they were as a band that when you went to go and see them, you knew you were going to get three hours worth of, of hijinks and rock and roll and sex and drugs and everything that rock and roll should be, or at least was. Well, and, and I, I was thinking about it today and I was trying to go through the list of songs that defined 
a decade. And, you know, that's difficult because everyone's got their different tastes. But I think it's a fair, there's a fair case to be made that Jump is in the discussion for the top one or two or three songs of the 80s. I mean, it is so synonymous with that era. Yeah, and especially because they made that video for something in the neighborhood of $450, like even less than what Donald Trump is allegedly paying on his taxes. Um, <laughs> and, and the fact that, that you know, it, it hit number one on much music for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, you know, it was a straightforward performance clip, like many of the hard rock videos at the time. But it was nominated for three MTV Video Awards and it won Best Stage Performance for a band that just looked like that they were lip-syncing the song. I mean, it was astounding what they were able to do with just a couple of cameras. But, you know, they grew up with Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis and the fun parts of the Beatles before they got all serious in the mid-50s, in the mid-1960s. And so they kind of put that back into rock and roll. They never took themselves too seriously, but they definitely took the music seriously. And and that's where I think I, I, I most love about them is, you know, they can goof around in the video like Panama, but you go try playing that and see how mm. well you do. Well, and, and I was thinking, as I said, with Jump as, you know, one of those songs that you would say, okay, that's one of the songs of the 80s. Okay, maybe you put Michael Jackson in there. Maybe you put Beat It in there as the song of the 80s. But that was Eddie Van Halen playing on that song as well. So he was kind of everywhere. And I'm, I got wondering, was he simply one of those guys? And we, we see this with different things. We see it with Bill Gates, who arrived on the planet, not to be too deep or too philosophical, but Bill Gates seemed to arrive on the planet at exactly the right moment to have the impact that he did. Or Steve Jobs, if he'd been born 50 years earlier, couldn't have done what he did. Was Eddie Van Halen just the right guy at the right time at the right place? Oh, I, I totally believe that, you know, and especially when you think about that, Eddie Van Halen never really wanted to play guitar in the first place. He wanted to play drums. But yeah, I heard that after, story. Yeah. And then after he heard Alex Van Halen, his brother on guitar, he was like, uh, uh-uh, no, 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 I'm going to go play guitar. You, you know, I, I, and I, and I still remember this to this day and I, um, and it wasn't even because Eddie passes away today, but I remember around 1983 when Diver Down came out. And we were hanging around the schoolyard in the smoking section, as you do. And we were talking about how amazing Eddie Van Halen was. And then somebody said, you know, he's learning how to play keyboards. And then we were all like, ooh, and changed the way that rock music now handles keyboards. So I don't think it's solely, I think it's almost undervaluing saying, well, you just a guitarist. Um, because he was also a master at the keyboards as well, changing music in that direction. So right place, right band, right time, right moment. Because I think obviously if they were around in the 90s, they might not actually stick around that very long with Nirvana and Alice in Chains and all the doom and gloom of grunge music that was breaking the charts back then. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Eric, I was looking on Rolling Stone magazine a number of years ago. I don't think it was that long ago, but did a list of their greatest 100 guitarists of all time. They have Eddie Van Halen at number eight. Number 10 is Pete Townsend, just so people know who we're talking about here. Uh, Pete Townsend from The Who, number 10. Dwayne Allman from Allman Brothers, number nine. Eddie Van Halen, eight. Chuck Berry, seven. B.B. King, six. Joe Beck, uh, sorry, Jeff Beck, five. 
Keith Richards, four, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin, three, Eric Clapton, two, and Jimi Hendrix, number one. Nonetheless, sticking him in number eight is in some pretty rarefied air. Is that where he, not specifically, but somewhere high up, that high up on that list, is that where he belongs? Yeah, I, I think he's actually a little bit low, and that's certainly not to take him away from from any of those amazing guitarists who are on there, because all of them have a couple of things in common. Not only did they all forge their own path in music, um, they all pretty much started with nothing. They all started playing live and stunk for the first couple of years until they got better. But more importantly, they inspired people. They weren't just always amazing um, like Jeff Beck was, but they inspired people to go off and do something else. You know, there wasn't a single guitarist that I knew growing up, growing up that didn't want to play Eruption, that didn't want to try to recreate that song. And the key, though, is to come up with it first. And that's where the innovation, to push the envelope. And Eddie Van Halen and Hendrix and Clapton and Jimmy Page did that really, really well. But I think if they ever do another lift like that, I think Eddie Van Halen has to be in the top five right now. You know, what's amazing about that list, and I couldn't help but notice that um, all the guys who are on that list, especially in the top 10, and I, I rolled on further, and I mean, you've got guys like George Harrison and and uh, who else, as you start to move on, George Harrison and Stevie Ray Vaughan and... David Gilmore and Neil Young and Les Paul, all the guys who are near the top of the list are either gone or getting up there in years. It, it, it made me wonder, I mean, is guitar playing a dying art all of a sudden? Yeah, I, I think not only are you and I going to be sadly talking a lot on the radio about these classic rockers that are going to be passing away because that's what happens. But I, I think it asks, a better question to myself that I ask all the time is where are these rock and roll heroes? Like where are the next Eric Clapton's? Where are the next Jimmy? Well, they're not playing guitar. They're they're, They're they're doing, no, they're in hip hop or whatever else that doesn't rely on guitar as much. Totally. And every year, every time that Taylor Swift puts out another album, invariably there is a press release that goes out from Gibson Guitars saying that we have sold more guitars to women than ever before. And that is truly amazing. I love that. I love the fact that there are still people who inspire others to play music, whether it's in music schools or, or in private classes or just in the middle of the night, you know, for fun, just so they can do it. We haven't seen Guitar Heroes probably since the video game Guitar Heroes back in the 90s and 2000s. And, um, but that's okay. You know, I think rock and roll is more, it's a spirit, it's a movement. Um, uh, but, you know, certainly the, the next generation of music lovers of 8 to 15-year-olds who are getting 60, 70 million followers on TikTok have absolutely no interest in learning an instrument. And that's okay, too. Whatever, however they want to create their next legion of, of superstars is fine by me. But it's just a little bit sad because I think the actual joy of playing is going to be forgotten about, I think. Well, it just, it, I mean, it speaks in a lot of ways, I guess, to the way that music is changing. But um, it, it also, um, it, it kind of, I mean, one of the things that music is supposed to do is theoretically is to bring us together. But I think we see a bit of a divide here because I bet you that r- as we're talking right now, there are people probably under 30 who are saying, uh, Eddie Van Halen does nothing for me. 
does nothing for me. People older understand why he was so important, but there is a real divide in music right now between young music and old music. And maybe that's always been the case. It's just maybe that we're the old guys now that we see it. Um, but there seems to be a real difference in who listens to what and even the instruments that they follow and play. Yeah, I, 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 there's only a divide when the people in power don't think of those up-and-coming music fans to influence them. Meaning that, you know, it took the film Bohemian Rhapsody, the docudrama about Freddie Mercury and Queen, to bring that song back on the charts. And now it is still the only song on Spotify's history to come from the 20th century to reach a billion streams on Spotify. Every other 107 songs that have a billion streams on Spotify have all come in the last 20 years. So when when the people in power, meaning the film directors, the TV shows that put music into TV shows, um, you and I, people that have radio shows, whenever we introduce the Beatles to another snot-nosed 15-year-old who is angry <laughs> and who is frustrated and who wants to get out their their emotions, that's when you do it, you know? And, and I think when you don't have those instruments at hand, I'm a firm believer that you start to ball up all those feelings inside, like any art form, whether it is playing guitar or piano or drawing or writing. Um, we see it time and time again. When you stick an instrument into a kid's hands, things change. Their brains get bigger, they get smarter, they do better in math, and it's music therapy, and it's it's art for music, and it's why music should be taught in schools. Um, uh, but sadly, music is one of the things that's always continues to get cut in the school system whenever they need to make those budget cuts on it. Um, but certainly, you know, there's always a case to be made that, look, when you and I were growing up in 1970, we weren't really listening to music from 1930 anyway. That would be like somebody today listening to Blondie and Duran Duran and Pink Floyd going, this is much better than what I expected. <laughs> yes. Eric Alper. And yeah, I'll give you Bohemian Rhapsody. I also think Wayne's World did a lot to bring back Bohemian Wayne's Rhapsody, World, the song. Absolutely, sure. Eric Alper, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Oh, anytime to talk music with you, I'm up for it. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Today, I don't know if you know this, I don't know if you've celebrated this. Today is National Orange Wine Day, which caught me a little bit off guard because I was unaware you could make wine from oranges. But I'm guessing that my first guest this hour is probably all very much aware of the process of turning oranges and other citrus fruits into wine, which I did not realize was possible. Britt Dixon is a expert on the wine industry. She's working with a number of wineries doing publicity. She joins us now. Britt, thanks for taking the time tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have you ever made orange wine? I'm laughing at your orange wine. <laughs> you ever had so, orange wine? Well, so orange wine, not made from oranges, but okay, so grape juice, the juice inside wine grapes is always white. Even wine that is even red wine, red wine grapes, it's white, but it's the contact with the skin during the fermentation that makes it red. So you can actually ferment, like let's say a wine, like a Gewürztraminer, a white grape. You can ferment it without any skin contact. That will make the wine um, uh, like a white color that we're all used to. But if you ferment it on the skins, you can actually make a wine that's more of an orange color, hence orange wine. So it's pretty trendy right now. And I think depending on who you talk to in the wine industry, some people are all for it. So, you know, kind of different. And other people are like, oh, orange wine, come on. So... <laughs> 
See, I like my stupid idea better of using actual orange juice to make wine. I don't know how you would possibly do it, but um, you know, I don't. You can, I don't know you all can the. You make wine out of other um, out of other things. Like, there's a, a winemaker who makes sparkling wine out of Nova Scotia, I believe, who makes wine out of you know blueberries and rhubarb and whatever is in season there and does really well in their growing um, with their agriculture and their climate. And he makes apparently some really fantastic wines. I've never tried them, but you can make, you know, great rhubarb wine and, and things like that. So I've you seen know. rhubarb, but no, I haven't tasted it, but up in Bob Cajun, we go up for a week or so every summer to up to a cottage up there. And there is a place that we drive by that offers rhubarb wine. And again, I've always thought, I don't know if that's really wine or if someone in that farm has just distilled stuff down into some sort of moonshine and he's calling it wine <laughs> from rotted rhubarb that was left on the floor or something. Who knows? But apparently someone buys it. Anyway, I I don't know all the I don't know all the wine terms, whether your tannins are gonna be thrown off by orange juice and rhubarb being made into wine, but it would be something. It would be yeah. something. We'll, we'll save our orange juice for mimosas. How's that? <laughs> well, you you can do that. Or maybe you should do an experiment is leave some orange juice in the garage for the entire winter and then see if it turns into wine by spring. Okay, you do that one. You let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this may be the last time we chat. I, I'm sure it would probably, it'll either serve as some sort of modern penicillin or I'll be dead. Um, has this, this would seem like every place is... Um, everyone is hurting, not everyone, but so many, especially in the service industry, especially in the hospitality industry and in the food, the restaurant industry, so many places are hurting. Are, are the wineries, because this would be a time of year when people would, the weather's getting a little cooler and you can get out and people go and visit the wineries and do wine tastings and everything else. Are, are they suffering right now? I think some wineries are, but others are doing very well. And it all comes down to whether uh, or not they've been able to to pivot during this, like many other small businesses have had to do. Um, you know, those who, who pivoted to focus on online and making wine so easy to purchase online, which we buy everything online, but for some reason, a lot of people don't buy wine online. That has changed through this. Um, a lot of wineries are realizing that, you know, to reach customers right now, they need to focus on strong online sales, fast shipping, incentives to get local wine to people's homes, you know, within a few days, within that same week, and strong um, social media presence to reach their um, customers. And the wineries that have been able to focus on that have seen really strong online sales and retail sales. And, you know, a lot of that is based on the fact that they have been able to pivot and to do that. And a lot of it is attributed to people who want to buy local right now and support those small businesses. Now, a lot of the wineries that, uh, you know, we have in Niagara also have uh, a huge portion of their portfolio is wine sales to restaurants. Well, those are down because dining rooms aren't operating at full capacity. Some of those wineries also have restaurants on site. So they're, you know, feeling that, that pinch as well. Um, and there's also no longer that sort of, you know, through the summer, that pop into a winery, hit a bunch of wineries in one day, that's super quick, you know, I'm, I've, I've done wine, winery visits before where I've hit, you know, six, seven wineries in a day, and it's, you know, a quick visit, but now they've sort of changed to this slower paced um, reservation system, a seated experience. If you've ever been to, you know, Napa or Oregon or someplace like that, where they have, you know, pretty established wine um, industries, they it's an it's all about the experience. It's about sitting and it's about tasting through the wines and taking your time. And so a lot of wineries have created these 
really great new experiences where you are as a guest you know, made to sort of stop and, and take your time and do that. So I just worked with a couple of wineries um, to let people know sort of how you can visit, how you can still um, support them and what the winery experience looks like. And, you know, a lot of it, you're still able to do that tasting. You're able to order wine by the glass. A lot of them have these great outdoor spaces set up. Um, and obviously fall is such a beautiful time of year with the harvest going on. So I think that you know, it's, it's become a different experience, but the ones who have been able to adapt to all these changes are, are seeing some successes. And I don't know if you're the same as me, but if I'm going to go to a winery and spend, you know, an hour or two there really tasting through, learning their stories, learning about the wines, then I'm probably going to walk out with a couple of bottles of wine because I feel like I've sort of invested in, into that place and learned about their business and things like that. So I think that you know, depending on the business model, a lot of them have had to change the way they do business that a lot of them are seeing some great successes right now. All right. You've said about 93 things I want to dive into different things there. So (laughs) you've given us a lot to chew on already. Let me, let me go through these piece by piece because the first one is, I think your point is probably bang on about, um, people buying online. I, I, this is, while the going to the winery may be down, I would have to think that when you can't leave your house as much, when you can't be around friends, when you're not going out to the theater or somewhere to go driving, there's probably an awful lot of people who say, well, now I don't have to worry about my drive or anything else. I can open a bottle of wine at night. I would think that a lot of people are probably drinking a lot more wine for better or for worse at home because it's much more convenient now. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, for those people who you know, are finding new ways to spend our time. And, you know, a lot of it is sort of sitting in the backyard. Maybe you're having outdoor socially distanced visit with friends and, you know, you're, you're buying some great local wine to enjoy while you're doing that. And a lot of the wineries that I've, you know, talked to to say, you know, how was your summer? It's the busiest time of year touring through wine country. A lot of them say, you know, the traffic is down because they're not seeing as many people go through because they can't push those big groups through those big bus tours through like they might have in a in a previous summer but wine sales are up because like you just said more people are buying and more people are spending time at at the places when they you know book in for a 40 minute um, wine tasting or you know spend an hour there having a glass of wine and a cheese plate or something to eat so they're spending more on the retail side of it. Now, the the flip side is, and you say that those who have done well um, online are doing well. I, I, maybe I'm unique in this, although I'm guessing there's an awful lot of people listening who would be the same. The challenge, I would think, for a lot of the wineries is when I walk into the store to buy a bottle of wine, I am rarely targeting a particular brand or a particular winery. I have no idea what I'm going to buy when I walk into the store. I know what color I'm going to get or maybe what type, you know, whether it's a Merlot or something else. But so it's it's a bit of a hit and miss. And to for a winery to be able to reach a person, you have to have a, 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 an audience already or you have to have a relationship in, in a sense because if you don't, I, how am I going to know to go online to look for your particular vineyard or your particular winery unless I've purchased it before. Mm -hmm. And that's true. And I mean, so much of buying wine is you want to taste that wine first. You want to hear about it. You know, you go to a winery and you go to a tasting bar and you taste through and you figure out what you like. So a lot of the wineries who have been successful have, you know, okay, how can we reach people? How can we reach people online, on social media, those who had strong social media presence 
um, before all of this. Like that just has, I think, skyrocketed. A lot of these wineries are doing, you know, virtual tastings or putting out some video content that introduces people to their wine brand and their story. Um, you know, you have to find a, a more creative way to reach people uh, during this time and let them know sort of what they can experience. And, you know, some of the wineries I've seen, um, what I've really enjoyed seeing is they've created sort of weekly um, weekly or monthly, um, you know, different kits or themed, themed wine purchases. You know, you buy six bottles and it might be, you know, some, let's say some really great fall wines or in the summer, maybe it's a rosé pack with some sparkling and some, you know, easy drinking rosé. So finding those unique ways to market to people and, and get them trying new things. And I, you're clearly talking to someone who is not the, um, the wine expert and being very honestly not. And so one of the things, and this may sound so lowbrow, and so I apologize because I know you are not lowbrow when it comes to wine. Um, one of the things that I truly believe, especially now, that is probably helping is clever labeling. And, and I say that, and I know that probably there are people who just flinch when I say that because they go, really? You're, gonna, you're just going to buy a bottle of wine because of the label? Yeah, sometimes if it catches my eye and I look at it and I go, wow, that looks kind of neat and I haven't tried that, that may be enough to get me to pick up a bottle and buy it as opposed to something really boring. It really is, and it does have an impact. And there's been studies done that people uh, like studies around consumer behavior when it comes to wine labels and things that are eye-catching and you're seeing more and more people and more and more wineries jump on board with that trend i think it uh pondview winery in niagara on the lake they've just put out a red wine and it's a cabernet franc and i'm pretty sure that the label is something like what what the franc like what the frank like it's 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 a, <laughs> it's a clever play on words and a lot of people are like okay how can we catch people's attention how can we create a label that you know does really well on social media that people might be scrolling and see that or you know see it on the shelf at a store and think oh that's interesting i need to pick that one up there is one bottle and i can't remember the name you'll know the name um, that if you hold your phone up your smartphone up to it um it will actually, the label will actually come to life on your phone. Yeah, the augmented reality uh, labels are really becoming popular and it's, it's really cool. And I've seen ones that you hold your, up your phone and literally there'll be some, someone pops out of the label, like telling the story of the wine or telling the story of the winery. It's, it's a really, really interesting thing. Yeah, 17, is it what something crimes, I think is yeah, the, the yeah, name of it. Yeah, 19 crimes, I think. 19, okay, yeah. California, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's really, uh, it's again, kind of just a way because there's just so much, unless you really know what you're doing. And I'm sure there are many people who do, who are listening to me right now saying you are such a rube. Uh, that's fine. But, but for those of us who don't, you walk in and you know, something has to get your attention or something has to make you decide you want to pick that up. And, And I really, I don't think it's a lot different from a lot of other things that you would buy, even down to like breakfast cereal, you know, whatever catches your eye, you're going to say, I'll try that. The LCBO actually has a campaign on right now um, called Pair It Forward. And, you know, it's digital and virtual events and in-store things. And it's a fall promotion that I think is just highlighting the fact that, you know, we have all these great Ontario wines here. Um, How can we support these small businesses? So it's something as simple as that that gets people, you know, you're going to the LCBO. um, There's obviously a lot more products in in the LCBO than just Ontario and just local. But positioning those products 
that, you know, they're there right in your eyesight when you walk in. Um, and then they're highlighting some of those small businesses, the farmers, the wineries um, online. So when you, you know, drink your local wine, use your hashtag pair it forward and learn a little bit about uh, about the wineries and these small businesses at the same time to then create a bit of a movement that sort of gives this industry a bit of a, a boost right now when when so many of the people within that industry need it. I can see something else, though, that's coming down the pipe, and it's already here, that may be a real opportunity for Ontario wineries. And you never want to be dancing on someone's grave. And that that kind of may be what this sounds like. It's really not the intent. But those wildfires in California are into the Napa Valley. And there are stories, we're reading stories of, of vineyards that have been destroyed and wineries that have been affected. And I don't know what that means as far as availability of California wines this year or next or the year after or the price of what they may be at and whether that does that open a door for Ontario wines to get more people to grab one and give it a try? I think if if things are accessible and I think that, you know, we're seeing more and more of our local products in the LCBO or even just the accessibility of the now the online sales and the shipping and literally you can go and order a case of wine and i've i've done it with a couple of local wineries i live in burlington and i've ordered from some of the niagara wineries and sometimes it shows up at your door you know the next day or you know two days later so just that accessibility of being able to get those wines quickly um as an alternative and i think that you know, so as as more and more people are drinking Ontario wine and realizing the great products we have here and the push to support local, and maybe some other people who are boycotting products for from the United States for various reasons, then choosing local is a great opportunity to do that. Especially with Thanksgiving this coming weekend, right? Like this is the perfect time of year. New wines are coming out. Um, you know, there's a big push of supporting our own here at home. So picking up those great local wines to try this weekend. If you're, if you've never tried an Ontario wine, it's a great opportunity to do that. Pick up a bottle of, you know, Baco Noir, Pinot Noir and put it with your turkey and it's perfect. (laughs) I'd be shocked if people have never tried Ontario wine at this point. There was a day when that may have been shocking, but I'd be shocked if that was the case. Now we were on a cruise, I don't know, a couple of years ago and we were, surprised but not surprised but how many of the wines on the cruise were Ontario wines and it was not a Canadian cruise company it was down in the Caribbean and we were like well all right clearly someone has been here or has tried them and has decided to bring them onto the cruise line Mm -hmm. Um, this may be a stupid question in fact I'm probably sure it is but has COVID had any effect on the Ontario wine industry? I mean, I'm not talking even about the, the, the visiting the vineyards, I'm talking about the actual harvesting and making of the wines. Has there have been any spinoff or residual impact? Uh, it's funny because I love going down to the wineries this time of year and saying, you know, what, what's happening? What's, what's harvest going to be like? And the, the answer that I've had from so many people is, you know, everything else might have slowed down, shut down, changed, but like whatever is happening in the vineyard, the grapes, they don't know, the wines that are aging, they don't know that there's been this like big shutdown and things are just moving uh, full steam ahead in terms of, you know, production and harvesting that hasn't been impacted. And the, whatever we have to say about 2020, the good part of it is it's going to be a super amazing vintage. What I'm hearing from everyone is like this, the hot summer, the weather that we've had, it's just like, that will be one thing 
if you if you love wine and you're you know part of the wine industry, like you can look back on 2020 and say, eh, I don't know how 2020 went, but we sure got some great wine out of it. <laughs> yeah, and the reason I asked is because there, we've heard of farmers down in Windsor Way, especially, but we've heard of farmers and farms that have really struggled to find help and have healthy help and. I just wasn't sure if, and you've answered the question already, whether they can be harvested and whether they can be picked and all the things you need to have done. Clearly, there's been no issue with that. No, and a lot of, you know, it all just goes with putting those safety protocols in place, just like keeping the guests and the employees who work like within the wineries and the tasting bars safe and healthy. Um, you know, the people who work out in the fields and in the vineyards, the same thing. So they'd be, you know, working in sort of um, different pods so that they're not, you know, they're limiting any sort of exposure, just how we're doing our things in our, you know, regular safety protocols for COVID. Same, same thing there. Okay. Got only a few seconds left here, but if somebody now, we know that there are still questions about whether you can go to restaurants or should go to restaurants or be inside or whatever. If people are off this weekend and we're thinking about going and doing a wine tour, are they open? Can they go? Is there spacing? Is all that stuff? Is that something that is now able to be done? Yes. Yeah. So I would just suggest making a reservation ahead of time because you want to guarantee your spot. I mean, you you probably are likely to walk in in some places, but make a reservation ahead of time, either online or calling them. And a lot of the wineries have great outdoor, indoor and outdoor, but a lot of people I think feel more comfortable outside right now. And a lot of them have some really great uh, indoor and outdoor experiences that you can, you know, whatever you're looking for, whether it's food, a wine flight, a glass of wine, um, it's actually my birthday on Saturday. So I'm heading out to wine country and I'm going to do a little wine tasting as well. Well, okay. So first of all, happy birthday before I forget, <laughs> cause three seconds from now I'll have forgotten. But, um, but what was I just going to say to you? Now you threw me off with the birthday thing. Now I'm so, cons- I'm so thinking about your birthday that, um, um, oh yeah. Is there a central clearing place? Cause not everyone knows the names of these wineries. Is there a website that lists all the Niagara wineries where someone could go and find a list of them? Or do you just have to burrow around and look for them? Yeah, I mean, you can, if you just look up Wine Country Ontario, you can visit, you can visit their website and they'll, and there's a whole bunch of different resources on there and you'll be able to find a lot of the wineries and where they're located, whether it's, you know, in the Beansville Bench area or right in Niagara on the Lake. Britt Dixon, you're going to love your 30s. Have a great birthday tomorrow. (laughs) And um, we, uh, we appreciate you taking the time today to do this. Thank you. Thank you. That is, uh, there, there you go. Find some, find some wine. If you're having people over this weekend and, you know, make it an Ontario wine and I'm not being paid by the Ontario wine marketing board. Just so you know, I've got nothing, but it is, there is great, you know, this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. There's great wine from this province and from this region. There really is. And as I said, when we went down South, the ship had loads of Ontario wine and we were sort of, "Hmm, wow, that's, that's, I didn't expect that. I figured it would all be California wine. No, no. No, no. Good wine is good wine, no matter where it comes from. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.